whenever you meet someone for the very first time, the first piece of information that's exchanged between the two of you is usually your first names. It goes like this. Hey, I'm Tony. And the other person goes, oh, hey, Tony, my name is Susan. But after that, chances are close to 100%. The same question comes up every time. So what do you do? I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse or I'm a personal trainer or I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm in school right now or I'm retired or I'm unemployed at the moment or I'm on disability or whatever. Without fail, after your name is known, what you do is the first piece of information that someone asks about you in, a, in an attempt to get, you, get to know you a little bit better. So how would we answer that as a church if that question ever came up in conversation? Oh, so you're Gospel City Church. We've heard so much about you. So what do you guys do? And our answer, and it's the title of this message, we make disciples. When anybody thinks about Gospel City Church, this is what we want them to have pop up in their minds. Now, where do we come up with this answer? Where do we get the idea that we're to make disciples? Well, 2,000 years ago, a group of guys left behind everything in their lives to follow around a formerly untrained rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth. They followed him for three years. They were with him 24-7. They ate with him. They were friends with him. They loved him. They heard him preach. They saw him perform miracles. They believed he was the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for a long time. They saw him betrayed into the hands of the religious leaders. They saw him condemned and handed over to Pilate. They saw him crucified. Then they saw him alive three days after that he was dead and buried. And 40 days after his resurrection, they saw him ascend into heaven. But before he left to go back to heaven, they had a particular encounter with him at a mountain in Galilee. And part of that conversation is recorded for us in the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told them to go and make disciples. We call this the Great Commission. It's not called the great suggestion. If there was ever a book of things that Jesus never said, this could be an entry in that book. Listen to this. Imagine Jesus saying this, which he never did. Uh, Hey guys, I know you're all really pretty busy right now. You have fish to catch and families to raise. But if it's not too much trouble to ask, could you maybe possibly think about setting aside some time every once in a while to, oh, I don't know, make some disciples. But don't worry if you're too busy and you can't do it. I totally get it. Uh, It's just an idea that I'm throwing out there. He never said that. (laughs) What Jesus actually said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus not only gave this commission to his disciples back then, Jesus gives the same commission to every single one of us who follow him today. All of us, not just pastors, not just the real spiritual Christians, whatever that means. Every Christian is called to make disciples. So what is a disciple? 
Well, here's a definition of a disciple from the dictionary. A disciple is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So from this definition, we can see that the word disciple is not an exclusively Christian term. Using this definition, anyone could be a disciple of any other person. A person could be a disciple of Buddha. A person could be a disciple of a football coach. A person could be a disciple of a college professor. A person could be a disciple of an author or of an inventor or of a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company. But when we're talking about the Great Commission, is Jesus calling us to make just any kind of random disciples of random people? Or is he commissioning us to make a certain kind of disciple? Jesus is calling us to make disciples of him. Jesus is calling us to make personal followers of him. Jesus is calling us to make people who are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, people who leave everything to follow Jesus, people who love Jesus more than anything else in their lives. Jesus is calling us to make Christians. Here's the first fill-in on your outline. A disciple of Jesus is called a Christian. A disciple of Jesus is called a Christian. And just so we're clear, this is what Jesus is calling us to do in the Great Commission when he says, go and make disciples. He's saying, go, make Christians. Let's be clear about something else. This is a humanly impossible task to do. It's humanly impossible to make someone else love Jesus in a way that they would give up everything in their life to follow him and love him more than anything else. That's humanly impossible. If we could change people this way on our own, in our strength, don't you think we'd be doing it all over the place, all of the time? I know that I would. If I had the power in myself to turn people into Christians, I'd just go around zapping everyone. I'd be like Oprah when she used to give cars away for free on her TV show. A car for you, a car for you, a car for you. I'd be like, salvation for you, salvation for you, salvation for you. All my extended family would be Christians if it was humanly possible to do. All my neighbors would be Christians too. Everyone in this city would be Christians if we could just make it happen according to our own abilities. But we can't. It's a humanly impossible task Jesus gives us when he tells us to go and make disciples because he's telling us to make people who are radically in love with him. We can't turn that switch on in someone else's life. But if you hang with me, we will get to how we're able to do this impossible task later in this message. So why do we make disciples? Well, the main reason we make disciples flows out of what we've discussed in the first two parts of this sermon series. We make disciples because we believe the Bible. We talked about believing the Bible in part one of this series, and we believe the Bible is God's word to us. So we believe it actively, meaning that we give ourselves to doing whatever it tells us to do. And we've just seen in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 that Jesus tells us to make disciples. So we make disciples. That's how simple it is for us. The Bible says to do it, so we do it. Again, it's not called the great suggestion. It's called the great commission. And we make disciples because we love Jesus. We looked at this last week. We love Jesus. He is the loveliest thing that anyone can love. We love him more than anything. And do you know what we will do if we love him? 
we will obey him. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is saying that if we value him above anything in our life, then we will also value his will above our own. We will want to do whatever he wants us to do because we love what he wants more than what we want. And Jesus wants us to make disciples. So this is what we're going to do. We make disciples also because we love people. Love wants what's best for the other person, no matter the cost. I saw a touching story on social media this week where a dad worked three part-time jobs so that he could afford to buy his eighth grade daughter the dress that she wanted for her eighth grade uh, party that she was going to at school. He made that sacrifice to make her happy. He did it because he loved her and it was really touching. But as Christians, we don't love people by giving them material things. We spend our lives so that we can love people by giving them Jesus. We do whatever it takes to give another person the opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to have their sins forgiven, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to have the gift of eternal life. What better gift could you give to someone than the gift of knowing Jesus? What better display of love could we show another person other than that? We want people to become Christians because that's the single best thing that can happen in anyone's life. So there are at least three reasons that we make disciples here at Gospel City Church. Because we love the Bible, because we love Jesus, and because we love people. Well, how do we do it? How do we go about the business of making disciples? Well, let's learn how we can make disciples by walking through the Great Commission, which again is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Let me read it one more time. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. After Jesus establishes that all authority has been given to him, he says the first thing that we need to do when it comes to making disciples is go. He says, go. Jesus is sending us to accomplish this task. Go is an action word. It's not a sit around and think about it kind of word. The light turns green and the cars behind you don't give you too much time to think about whether you're going to drive through the intersection ahead of you or not. Their honking horns remind you that green means go. And we are are told to go make disciples. But I know there are some very real concerns and questions that come up when we hear a command like this from Jesus to go and make disciples. One of the main questions is this, who has the time in this day and age to make disciples? The last time I checked, in our days, we still only have 24 hours in each of them. And our lives fill all of those 24 hours up pretty quick, don't they? Our days are filled with full-time work or part-time work or full-time school or part-time school or sometimes there's a combination of both work and school. There are relationships that need time and attention and energy. There's marriages and kids and extended family stuff and friendships. There are health issues to address. 
There are errands that need to be done every week. There's laundry, there's dishes, there's groceries, there's cleaning. There are church services to attend on the weekend. And in between all that, we need to find time to eat, bathe, go to the washroom, and sleep every once in a while. And you're telling me that I need to find time to go make disciples on top of all of that. How is that even possible? Well, here's part of the solution. We need to understand what go means in Matthew chapter 28. Some Bible scholars say a more accurate rendition of Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations is, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Wherever we go as God's people, we are to be making disciples. And here's your next fill-in on your outline. Go means as you are going. Go means as you are going in the context of the Great Commission. Now, this changes the equation. What if I told you that you don't need to carve out extra hours in your day in order to make disciples, but all you need to do is use the hours that you're already using. As you are going about doing the things you're already doing, you can make disciples. We shouldn't try to compartmentalize our disciple-making efforts into blocks of time that need to be fit into our already busy schedules. If I get off work at 5 o'clock and drive home and eat dinner, then from, then from 6.30 till 9 p.m., I have time blocked off to make disciples. I don't think it should be like that necessarily. What if you began to think of yourself as a disciple-maker, like it was at the core of your identity? And if that was the case then you would be a disciple maker everywhere you go. Whatever you are doing, wherever you are, there you are, a disciple maker. You can make disciples while you're at work. You can make disciples while you're at school. You can make disciples at home. You can make disciples as you drive. You can make disciples at church. You can make disciples when you're hanging at the beach with friends. Do you get the picture? Waking up to this realization is a big step to walking in the calling that Jesus has on your life to make disciples. You can make disciples as you are going about doing some of the things that you're already doing. Here are some examples. You have to buy groceries. Maybe you can invite someone with you to do that one day. And a discipleship relationship can happen while you're at the store. You have to eat lunch at work. Maybe you can invite a coworker to eat lunch with you. An opportunity for discipleship can happen there. You have to have dinner each night. Hopefully you do. You can invite someone over, a neighbor or a friend, to do that with you. You go to church each week. You can invite someone to come with you. You may have kids and a busy life that doesn't allow you to get out much. You can invite a friend over to your place and hang out with you while you're doing some of the chores around the house. And the house doesn't even have to be clean. They can see you as you normally live for the majority of your time. They don't need to see the pristine, clean house that we usually spend an hour or two to get ready before a company comes over. And by the way, the houses that are super clean like that are usually only clean for about 1% of the time during, during the week. My wife would, have, would kill me if I do this, but to make a point, I was tempted to take a picture of what our bathroom usually looks like during the week because when people come over, it looks immaculate. But in between visitations, it just looks like a bomb <laughs> went off. I'll pay for that one later. When you begin to look at your calling as a disciple maker, 
and you look at your current life rhythms and you begin to see opportunities to bring other people into some of these things with you, then a whole new world of disciple-making possibilities opens up to you. Now, introverts are freaking out at this point. You don't have to include someone every time you do a simple task. I'm just highlighting the fact that you can include some people some of the time. I'm highlighting the fact that the opportunity to make disciples is not out of anyone's reach. I hope this begins to open up our understanding of what Jesus means when he says, go and make disciples. This brings us to the next and really the central phrase in the Great Commission, make disciples. Here's your next fill-in. The act of making disciples is an every Christian calling. The act of making disciples is an every Christian calling. This is not just for elders of the church or for a select few Christians in the congregation. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you have been personally commissioned by the Lord Jesus to make disciples. Brings, yep, brings the next uh, fill in. The act of making disciples is a lifetime calling. The act of making disciples is a lifetime calling. You or I will never graduate from the job of making disciples. You should never hear these words come out of a Christian's mouth. Ah, you know what? That was a good run. Now I'm retired from making disciples. That, that should never come out of a Christian's mouth. There's no retirement in the Christian life from obeying Jesus. You and I will be done making disciples when we've entered into eternal glory. Now, the act of making disciples is a two-part process. Here's your next fill-in. Part one of making disciples requires engaging the pre-Christian. Part one of making disciples requires engaging the pre-Christian. When Jesus says, go make disciples. He is telling us to go to people who aren't already Christians and lead them into becoming Christians. Well, how do we do that? Well, simply put, we share the gospel with them. The gospel is the power that can turn a person from not loving Jesus into a person that loves Jesus more than anything in their life. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Later in Romans, Paul says this in chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to, how, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel is the powerful message of the good news of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People can get saved when they hear the gospel. This is the message that we believed when we became a Christian. And this is the same message that we share with others so that they might hear it and believe it and become Christians too. Every, every conversation that you have with every person who isn't a Christian doesn't have to have the gospel forced into it in an awkward way. 
like if you can picture me driving away from a drive-through window and I got my I got my food, I'm paid, I'm on my way, and then I realize it hit me. Oh my goodness, I didn't share the gospel with the person who served my fast food meal. Then I I don't have to roll down the window and as I'm driving away, scream out, Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins and he buried and, and he was rose on the third day and turn from your sins and trust in him and you'll be saved. I don't have to do that as I'm driving. I don't have to force it in to every single conversation. It might come out weird sometime when we share the gospel, to be sure, but I don't think it has to be weird every single time. I would suggest to you that you want to be constantly thinking, praying, and having a level of awareness of when you can bring the gospel into the conversation you are having with people and how are you going to build a bridge to the gospel in the conversation that you're having. But someone might be saying to themselves right now, well, what if I don't know what the gospel is or how to articulate it to someone else? Well, my answer to you would be learn it, ask for help, practice sharing it, Talk about it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to know the gospel. The gospel is Christianity 101. There's a story when I became a Christian and started walking with Jesus about 20 years ago. When I, became, when I came to follow Jesus, I, was just, I just loved him so much. And I had the evidence of him living in my life because my life was changing. But for the first few years of walking with Jesus, I didn't know how to articulate the gospel. And let me tell you how I came to that realization. I was telling everyone about Jesus because I wanted them to become a Christian like I was. I wanted them to have what I had in my life, in this new life with Jesus. But no one was becoming one. I was confused and baffled as to why people didn't want Jesus. He was so awesome. Then the Lord led me to learning more about salvation and how it worked. I wanted people to get saved. And so I learned how salvation would work in a person's life. I was brought to Romans 1.16, where we learned that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel? What's that? That eventually led me to 1 Corinthians 15, where we learned there that the gospel is the, gospel is the good news message of the life sinless life of Jesus, his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins, and his victorious conquering of death when he resurrected from it on the third day. This is the message that God uses to save people. Early on, I wasn't sharing the gospel with people because I didn't know what the gospel was. I was just telling everyone how awesome Jesus was in a really general way. But then I learned how to tell them how awesome Jesus was in a very specific way. I was armed with the power that saves people. I learned the gospel. Now I'm like a sower in Jesus' parable of the four soils. I'm scattering the seed of the gospel everywhere I go, hoping and praying that it miraculously takes root in people's lives and bears the fruit of salvation. And praise God, it has. I've seen people become born again by the power of the gospel when they heard it and believed it. If you don't know how to articulate the gospel, then I would just encourage you to spend the next little while in your personal devotion times to give yourself to becoming equipped with a basic understanding of it. You need to if you're going to make disciples. Well, you might say, what if I know the gospel, but I'm scared to share the gospel with someone? Well, everyone is scared in some way from time to time, if we're honest. But we have to overcome this. Because what's the alternative? 
never telling someone you love how they can be saved because you're scared of making the environment that you're in uh, less enjoyable and, and more awkward. Share openly with God and with others in the church why you're share, scared to share the gospel. And then ask God for the boldness to share it anyway. We have the only way a person can be saved. We can't stay silent no matter what the cost, no matter how scary it may be. Okay, well, where do we find unbelievers to share the gospel with? Well, you can go overseas as a missionary to an unreached people group. You can live there, learn the language and the culture. You can love them and look for ways to bring the gospel to them. That's one way you can do it. Or, and this is the much more common approach, you can go across the lunchroom on your break while you're at work as a missionary that lives in Canada, and you can go to a person here who's never heard the good news about Jesus and find a way to share it with them without ever having to sell your house and jumping on an airplane to go and do it. That's another way that you can reach an unbeliever with the gospel. So part one of making disciples requires that we find a way to bring the gospel to people who aren't already following Jesus. And here's part two, and it's your next fill-in. Part two of making disciples requires engaging the Christian. Part two of making disciples requires engaging the Christian after they become one. Then the Bible paints a bleak evangelistic picture for us. Most people will not believe the gospel when we share it with them. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says, many will reject the gospel and choose to continue to go through the wide gate and down the easy way that leads to destruction. But Jesus also says that some will enter the narrow gate and go down the hard way that leads to life. Praise God. Some people will believe the gospel when you share it with them. And when they do, the disciple-making process isn't over. In a sense, it's just beginning. When a person becomes a Christian, they are a brand new babe in Christ. They need to be loved, nurtured, encouraged, taught the truth of Christ. And that's our job as Christians, to help other disciples mature in their faith. Again, not just the pastor's job, but every Christian's responsibility. Why well, do we know when a person becomes a Christian? Is there a way to identify someone who has believed the gospel and turned their life over to Christ? Yes, because that person gets baptized. Jesus says this in the Great Commission, baptize them, these are new disciples, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's your next fill-in. Baptism is the public identification of a person who has become a disciple of Jesus. Baptism is the public identification of a person who has become a disciple of Jesus. This is how new believers are marked out. They get baptized. This is really important in the discipleship process for a couple reasons. One, a new believer gets baptized simply because Jesus tells them to. They get baptized in obedience to Jesus. Because if you remember, if we love him, we will give ourselves to obeying him. And he tells us the first thing we need to do as Christians is to get baptized. Two, 
Baptism notifies the church that we need to now engage this person as a Christian. You remember the two parts to disciple making? Part one, engage the pre-Christian. Part two, engage the Christian. Baptism says to everyone, this one here is a new Christian. We don't need to preach to this person anymore. They need to be saved and how to get saved. They are saved. Now we need to teach them how to be a Christian, how to follow Jesus. We shouldn't try to save someone who is already saved. And on the other hand, we shouldn't try to call someone to live like a Christian if they aren't a Christian. Baptism is what makes the distinction clear for everyone involved. What should we teach other Christians to do as part of the disciple-making process? Again, Jesus tells us in the Great Commission, says, teach them, these new disciples, to observe all I have commanded you. Now, I personally don't like the ESV's use of the word observe in this text. It makes it sound like we can look at Jesus' commands like they're hanging in an art gallery or in a, on display in a museum. Don't touch, just observe. Just look at his commands and study them. Don't get your fingerprints on them. Don't get messy. A better translation is the word obey. Teach them to obey all I have commanded you. We need to teach one another how to obey Jesus. That's what he tells us to do. And this is a major component of making disciples. Here's your next fill-in. Making disciples includes teaching Christians how to obey Jesus. Making disciples includes teaching Christians how to obey Jesus. Well, how do we teach people to obey the commands of Jesus? Here's an important lesson. Before you're going to teach anything to anyone, you should be doing those things in your life that you want to teach others to do. Before you teach people to obey Jesus, you need to learn to obey Jesus. You need to know what he's asking you to do, so you need to give yourself to learning his commands. Study the Bible on your own. Come to church and listen to the sermons. Listen to Christians who are more mature than you teach you how they learn to obey Christ. Then give yourself to obeying his commands. You can only begin teaching others when you are growing in your own obedience to him. When you're learning to obey Jesus' commands, then you can be used to teach others to obey them too. Teaching others to do something is way easier said than done. I think we would we want to make it easier than it actually is. We're tempted to make the teaching process easier by boiling down the learning process into accumulating information. You want to learn something? Okay, go read these books, watch these videos on YouTube, and after you're done that, you should have learned what you've wanted to learn. But teaching people takes way more than throwing a textbook at them and wishing them good luck. Can you imagine if that's what Jesus did? Can you imagine if after he called his 12 disciples to follow him, he gathered them together for a meeting and then gave each of them their own personal scroll with the Bible on it and their own personal handwritten note of instructions from him and said, okay, now guys, you have what you need. Study it and then do what you learn. Good luck. And then you imagine he walks away and leaves them to figure everything out on their own. For the record, Jesus didn't teach his disciples using that method. Thankfully, he didn't, because I don't think they would have learned what they needed to learn from him that way. What did Jesus do to teach his disciples? How did Jesus teach his disciples? 
Well, let's look at Jesus as a model for our disciple-making efforts. He called them to follow him, and they did. He then spent the next three years with them. Day in and day out, he was with his disciples. They saw him preach. They saw him heal. They saw him handle the opposition of the religious leaders. They saw him love those who were on the margins of society. They saw him pray. They saw his life. They were with him. No doubt Jesus taught his disciples many things with his words, but we cannot discount the lessons they learned from him just simply by being with him. He gave them an example they could see, an example they could emulate. He didn't write them a story on parchment about him washing their feet. He actually got up from the table one time and washed their feet. If we're going to successfully make disciples, then we need to pattern our disciple-making efforts after the master disciple-maker. We need to give ourselves to making disciples like Jesus did. And he spent time with his disciples. He taught them in a context where they were together with him. If you or I are going to make disciples by teaching them to obey Jesus, then we need to be prepared to invest time with them. If you want to take the call to make disciples seriously, then you you need to invest time in the lives of the people that you want to disciple. You cannot teach others the way you are supposed to apart from spending time with them. Because part of teaching them is modeling for them how to obey the commands. They need to be around you long enough to see what a godly, obedient Christian life looks like. You can't explain and model obedience apart from being in the presence of the ones you're trying to teach. Now, some of you may be overwhelmed at this point. So let me remind you of something I said earlier in the message. I said that making a disciple is a humanly impossible task. Isn't that like God, though, to command us to do things that we can't do in our own strength? Abraham, go and have a kid with Sarah in your old age. Moses, go and deliver my people from Egypt. Joshua, Go and take the city of Jericho by walking around its walls a few times and shouting into the air. Gideon, go win the battle with only 300 men. Mary, go have a baby while you're still a virgin. Peter, go walk on the water. Disciples, go and make disciples. God calls his people to do impossible things. And when he does, he always supplies what we need in order to get the job done. God gave everyone what they needed to obey him in each of the examples I just gave you. And God gives us what we need in order to make disciples. Look at the last line in the Great Commission and we'll see a very precious promise for us. Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells his disciples back then and he's telling us today, I am with you. Jesus is with us. That's the ultimate game changer. Jesus is the one who makes impossible things possible. Without Jesus, we are always bringing a knife to a gunfight, whatever battle we're facing. Without Jesus, we are always undersupplied. But with Jesus, what can we do if Jesus is with us? What does the Apostle Paul say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Making disciples is an impossible task without Jesus. But here's your next fill-in. Making disciples is possible 
only because Jesus is with us. Making disciples is possible only because Jesus is with us. Here are some of the things we have at our disposal to make disciples since we have Jesus. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new heart, one that loves the things that Jesus loves, one that wants to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, one that understands and wants to make disciples. We've been given spiritual gifts. We've been given the church. We've been given each of the opportunities that we have in our life. We've been given the power of the gospel. We've been given the ongoing work of Jesus of drawing all men unto himself. We have Jesus who is the one who saves people. We have Jesus who is the one who sanctifies them by changing them from the inside out. He gives those who we are discipling hearts that want to learn and obey his commands. We cannot make disciples if we don't have those things. But we do have those things because we have Jesus. Let's begin to bring all of this home. How are we going to make disciples at Gospel City Church? Well, number one, focus on your own personal relationship with Jesus. Abide in him. Jesus says these words in John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything that you do for Jesus will flow out of the love relationship that you have with him. So spend personal time with Jesus every day and he will lead you in your disciple-making journey. So that's number one. Focus your own, on your own personal relationship with Jesus. Two, focus on the unbelievers that God has placed in your life. Pray for the people in your life who do not know Christ. Pray that he saves them. Pray that he uses you to do it. Look for ways to build relational bridges with the people in your life who do not know him. Look for opportunities to serve them. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. So that's two, focus on the unbelievers God has placed in your life. And three, focus on the believers God has placed in your life. God has supplied you with people who need to be discipled. Most of these relationships can be found in the church you're already a part of. Whether you call Gospel City Church home or you're a part of another local church, the local church is where you will find, find the believers God has placed in your life to disciple and be discipled by. Here are some of the rhythms that we have at, in the life of Gospel City Church that are conducive to making disciples. Our weekly church services on Sunday night, we come to be taught the word of God together. We come to praise God together. We come to serve together. We come to give together. We come to take communion together. We come to share testimonies together. Make no mistake about it, regular attendance and participation in the weekly church service is a vital part to mature you in your faith as a disciple of Jesus. We also have our home groups, which are starting back up on Wednesdays in the fall. Home group is an opportunity for you to make disciples. Remember, Jesus spent time with his disciples, and that's what's at the heart of our home group time. We're not expecting anyone to spend 24-7 with another brother or sister in Christ like Jesus did with his disciples. We live in a different time and culture that Jesus and the disciples lived in. 
but we also don't expect that meaningful discipleship relationships in the church are possible with zero meaningful time spent together. So we ask all those who call Gospel City Church home to make every effort to set aside Wednesdays just to be with their brothers or sisters in Christ, to share our lives together, to open the word together, to pray together, to learn, model, and teach obedience to Jesus together. This time is specifically set aside so that discipleship can take place as a part of our regular rhythm as a church family. In the midst of all the busyness, we need to prioritize a time like this. And one more thing, here's something new for Gospel City starting Monday nights in the fall. Members of Gospel City Church will be able to enroll in a year-long discipleship training called Pipeline that's designed to equip disciples to live out the Great Commission. The Pipeline Level 1 training is designed to develop disciples who demonstrate a desire to grow and mature in Christ. This training will help develop a strong foundation in spiritual and missional discipleship principles. Here are the seven competencies that we will grow in throughout the year. Spiritual formation, Bible fluency, spiritual design, evangelism, relationships, understanding church, and leadership. There's about three hours of homework each week that includes Bible reading, scripture memorization, watching sermons, reading articles, questions to answer, short essays to write, and tasks to do. You'll spend time doing this work on your own if you, if you participate in this. But then we gather together once a week to go through what we've learned, processing it and discussing it together. This will be starting in September and runs for seven months through the calendar year, taking breaks over December and March and the summer, which line up with the same breaks we take for home group. We've done this training for two years now when we were still, or part of us were still God Rock. And I can tell you, Everyone who goes through it comes out more equipped and prepared to love and serve Jesus and make disciples in their life. Fruit has come out of this time together, and I am excited to take the next group of people through it as a part of our disciple-making endeavors here at Gospel City Church. There'll be more info as we get closer to September. So, we've taken three weeks to answer the question, who is Gospel City Church? We believe the Bible, we love Jesus and people, and we make disciples. This is who we are. And I pray that we can experience the reality of each of these in radical ways as we continue to give all of our life in sweet surrender to our King and our God, Jesus Christ. We pray with me? Uh, Lord, that, that, is, that is our prayer. Lord, we don't want to be a church that just talks about the things of the Bible. Lord, we want, to, we want to experience everything that you've called us to experience as your church, as the body of Christ, as your people, as, as your children filled with your spirit. We want everything that you're calling us to do to be a reality in our lives because your way is the best way. Your way is where life and fulfillment and power and meaning is found, Lord. And I, so we pray that as a church, make us that. Make us an obedient church. Make us a holy church. Make us a church marked by your power. Make us a church, Lord, that's marked by your love. 
do, do things in us, Lord, that we cannot conjure up on our own. We need your spirit to empower us. And Lord, that is our heart's cry. Make us a biblical church. Do that, Lord, for your glory. Do that for our satisfaction and, and our joy, but do that for the good of the city that you've called us to reach and the good of the nation and the world that you've called us to reach. Use Gospel City Church, Lord, to reach and impact people for your name and for your kingdom. We pray all of these things, Jesus, in your amazing name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to share just a few quick things with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now. You'll find a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing. So go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now to learn more about Jesus. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at gospelcity.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you'd like to support the teaching ministry of Gospel City through financial giving, you can do so by going to gospelcity.ca slash give. And finally, I want to invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates and encouragements throughout the week. And you can find all those links in the top right corner of our website. We love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.